Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today we have part two of our series called Fellowship of the King. This message is entitled, As Unto the Lord. Today we're going to be looking at the topic of living life, working your job, doing everything as unto the Lord, as, as an act of worship. We're specifically, specifically be looking at the story of Joseph from Genesis chapter 39. Uh, I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of this. So without further ado, let's head over to the talk. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org where we have daily readings for our 40 days of faith, which is part of our um, devotionals on Lent. They're posted up there on the website Monday through Friday, so check them out. We'll head over to the talk now. Thank you for listening. North Shore Vineyard. A couple of nights ago, we watched an interesting documentary. Anybody seen the documentary? Being Elmo, being Elmo. It's it's a fascinating. It's it's about it's about the guy who is the voice of Elmo. And has anybody ever seen the guy who's the voice of Elmo? He's not the guy you'd expect. He's he's a rather large African American gentleman that. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is Elmo. And uh, it's 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 one of those disconnects you have when you see the the guy actually making the voice. Like, how did this happen? But it, it was a pretty cool story because this guy, he starts out as, you know, a, a kid of about seven or eight years old. He really gets interested in making puppets. And, and you know, he loves watching these, you know, shows with puppets and stuff on them. So he decides he's going to make his own puppet. So he goes into his dad's closet and takes the lining, the, you know, kind of furry lining out of his trench coat and, and crafts this puppet. And then he, he leaves it on his parents' dresser. And then all of a sudden it hits him like, they might be upset about this. Well, luckily, the parents saw it. It was actually a pretty good puppet for his first time, and so they, they encouraged him at it. They, they were like, you know, next time you want to cut up our clothes, just ask. And, uh, but what was cool is this guy, he, he starts off with just this, this, this dream of, you know, making puppets and being, you know, kind of sounds like a strange dream to me, but it, he, he really got into this, and, and, and so he started spending all his time learning how to stitch puppets. Other people were playing sports. Other people were doing these other activities. And he was learning how to sew and, and use different fabrics and stuff like this. And then so one day, he actually gets to meet one of these, these people that, uh, you know, actually did puppets on, like, uh, Captain Kangaroo and stuff. Anybody remember Captain Kangaroo? Yeah. Uh, shows how old people are in here. Uh, <laughs> and... Long story short, this guy, he, he ends up, by, by really investing in this craft, he ends up getting to work for Captain Kangaroo, and then after a while, he gets to work for a few other things, and then he gets to meet Jim Henson himself, the guy who created the Muppets and Sesame Street, and then he actually makes his way to Sesame Street. One day, one of these frustrated puppeteers was, you know, they had this thing that, that we've come to know as, as Elmo, and his original voice didn't sound very much. It was like, what's up? You know, it, it, it didn't, didn't sound very Elmo-like. And the, the puppeteer was just aggravated. He's like, here, he throws it to this guy. He's like, see if you can do something with this. The next day he shows up, and that's when the, the personality and voice of Elmo as we know it was born. And then a whole huge industry. This guy went from being just a fan of puppets at eight years old to now he's one of the executive producers 
of Sesame Street. And, and what's really cool in the documentary is that at this point in his life now, he's finding kids who are eight or nine years old who had the same dream, and he's investing in it. So he's, he's actually gone full circle now to where he's getting to mentor some of these people the way some of these other folks had mentored him. You know, as I'm watching this documentary, I was kind of thinking about my own, you know, certainly less remarkable story. <laughs> when, when I was young, I decided that what I wanted to do was be a musician when I grew up. That was, that was it for me. You know, I was like, I remember like 10 or 11 years old, I was designing album covers in my room. I've, I've still got a picture of, of some of them. They, they looked very 80s, uh, the artwork on them. But I was like, that, that's the only thing I wanted to do. And, and so uh, about 12 years old, I, my, my dad had a, one of his best friends from college lived up in Denver, and he had a, a basement studio. He was a musician, so I got to record my first two songs in a studio. And one of my first songs I recorded was called Heartbreak Express. It was a blues song about a woman, you know, who just did me wrong. <laughs> because at 12 years old, I knew so much about blues and heartbreak, and, and uh, it's a silly song. But from that first time of recording, I was hooked. I was just like, there's no going, this is what I want to do. And so for the rest of my teenage years, uh, I, I my whole life revolved around this dream, this idea. I, I just wasn't concerned with things that a lot of other kids my age were concerned with. I, I found that, you know, during the summer I would work, one summer I, I worked like five different lifeguard jobs so I could buy my first keyboard because keyboard players, it cost a little bit more to enter in, you know, <laughs> entry level than, you know, guitar players or bass players. So I, I spent all summer working all these different jobs and finally raised up like 1200 bucks, which for me back in, you know, that time, that was, that was a lot of money. And, um, and I, I bought my first keyboard. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I was, you know, at an age where I could drive and stuff. And so I, I wasn't interested in sports cars. I mean, I like sports cars. I'm a, I'm a fan of them. But for me as a musician, I didn't, I didn't have any use for a sports car because you can't carry keyboards or music equipment in sports cars, can you? I mean, it worked good for picking up chicks, but, but so does a guitar. <laughs> wow. So, so I... Uh, I wasn't. I didn't care what kind of car I drew, whether it was a drove, whether it was a hatchback or a pickup truck or even a minivan. I didn't. I didn't care as long as it could hold music equipment. And then I noticed that the people I started hanging out with were musicians. That wasn't necessarily the best thing, but uh, I, I started surrounding myself with a community of people that were into the same things. It affected the way that I listened to music. Now I wasn't just a casual listener to, to music. Now I began paying attention. I began listening to what the bass was doing and what the drums were doing. How did they get that guitar tone or that keyboard tone or, or how did they play that? And so over the, you know, the, the years that followed, I, I, I got to play in bands and record CDs. And that was, you know, the last 25 years I've been on this journey of playing music and I'm still playing music today. And I still love it. And I actually... Did some recordings with some friends this week. I got to my first time ever. This, this was interesting. I got to do jazz vocals. Um, yeah, it was weird. It was different. But uh, so I, 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 all that to say, my life kind of conformed to the dream. You know, everything in my, it, it wasn't, uh, for 
music wasn't something that I just simply added to my life. It's something that I rearranged my whole life around. And I want to use that kind of picture today because I think when it comes to Christianity, a lot of people want to add a little bit of Christianity to their life. I'd like to go to church a couple times a month or couple times a year maybe you know I, I need a little I need a little of that old-time religion you know it's my kid I, we've got kids now so we better go to church because that's what you do when you have kids you got to start going to church you know forget that you haven't been to church in 20 years but it's you know it's it's time to start you know getting religion we got to give that to our kids so it'll drive them away from God just like it drove us no just kidding uh, but I want to say that, that, that that's not the mentality that we get from the Bible. It's certainly not the mentality we get from Jesus. And, and that mentality doesn't ever bring about transformation in our life. See, the true, true Christianity will change you. But it requires a lot of things to change in your life as well. And, and desire to change isn't enough. You know that? For me, desiring to play an instrument wasn't enough. I'm sure there's people in here you've desired to play an instrument, but you gave up after a, a, a few months. You know, I mean, a lot of people. I, the first, you know, if, if I hadn't played piano for 10 years before I started taking the guitar, I would probably have given up on guitar after three months, but I, I knew enough of music to hang in there. But desire isn't enough. If desire itself, if, the, if just wanting to be different was enough, then, you know, we wouldn't be so skeptical about New Year's resolutions. How many of you desire uh, to eat better, to lose weight, to, to go to the gym and stuff? I desire that, especially every New Year's Day. I'm like, oh, the, I want, I'm going to be a new man this year. I desire that. But why, do I st- why am I still carrying the weight that I was carrying a month ago? <laughs> because though I want to, I'm not really ready to reorganize my whole life around that desire. See, if I'm really going to lose weight and eat healthy, it it can't just be a desire. It's got to get into intentionality. I've got to actually change things in my life. I've got to set aside time to go to the gym in my schedule. I can't just say, oh, I've got a gym membership. I'll, I'll, I'll show up whenever I feel like it. No, I've got to schedule time to go to the gym. I've got to get stuff out of the pantry, like candy and marshmallows and, and that kind of stuff. And I've got to get rid of the ice cream. I've got to also begin dealing with emotional issues because I find one of my favorite times to eat fried food is when I'm stressed out. So I, I don't even have to look at the food aspect. I've got to look at my emotional aspect that maybe I've got to deal with some of the stressing things. Maybe I, you know, so all that to say... Desire itself isn't enough. And so if we are really going to, you know, the question that we're going to wrestle with, I I mentioned this last week, what does it mean to be kingdom people? What's it mean to be people living under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Well, as I said last week, Christianity is not about a bunch of rules, but it's about the rule of Jesus and submitting to that rule in every area of our lives. And when we do that, it begins to change us. But understand, everything in your life is affected. When you follow Jesus, if you're going to step into this, everything is affected. How you spend your money, how you spend your time, your priorities, 
your attitude, uh, the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your children, everything has to be reconfigured. You can't just add a little dash of religion, a little dash of morality to it all. That's missing the point. Jesus isn't about adding a bunch of rules to your life. He's about follow me (laughs) and let me rule your life. I I think one of the the great words that, that I could use to describe kingdom life would be apprenticeship. Now, we don't use that word apprenticeship much these days except for Donald Trump, and it's probably not the best example. But there used to be this concept of being an apprentice. If you wanted to learn a craft, you would come. You wouldn't go to school for that. You would find somebody who was a craftsman, and you would come underneath their mentoring, and you would follow them, and they would teach you their craft. If it was woodworking, you would spend several years learning that. If it was music, you would spend several years learning that craft, and, and you would gradually be released. And I think that that's a, that's a way to look at our walk with God. We're being mentored by Jesus. We're apprentices of the king. We're learning how to reorganize our life. We're learning how to live the future life of the kingdom in the here and now. We're learning how to become right now the people who we're going to be. Because ultimately, when God's kingdom comes in its fullness, there's not going to be any greed. There's not going to be lust. There's not going to be selfishness. It's not going to be a world characterized by sin. It's going to be a world characterized by peace, by love, by freedom. And, and, and the good news is we can start living that right now, here today. But simply wanting love and freedom and peace isn't enough. You've got to reorganize your whole life around the rule of Jesus. You with me? Don't shout me down all at once now. Uh, the, the passage I want to read this morning is Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Verse 23, Paul continues this study, says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, as unto the Lord. See, this is what I want to get at today. There's two mentalities. There's the mentality of the kingdoms of this world, and, and that's the way that comes to us naturally. Or there is the mentality of the kingdom of God. The mentality of the kingdom of God is whatever you do, whether it's your job, whether it's your marriage, whether it's you know, being a father or a mother for your kids, whether it's your relationships with your neighbors, do all of those things for who? Jesus. Do it unto Jesus. Do it as if you're, 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 you're serving God. Now, that, that kind of changes the dynamic of everything we do, doesn't it? In other words, I can love my wife, just I can, I can have our marriage just be a typical old marriage, or I can love her as if I'm loving God. You can go to work as if you're just working for the man, or you can go to work as if you're working for Jesus himself. And when you do that, you step into the role of apprenticing under Christ. And, 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 and you actually begin to experience transformation. And not only that, transformation gets to happen through you. I want to look at a, a, a good example of this from the Old Testament today. This is, 
You can find this in Genesis chapter 39. This is the story of Joseph. And this is really one of my favorite stories in the, in the whole Old Testament. I think uh, it would make a great movie one day if somebody wanted to do it. But um, Joseph was the youngest of his brothers. His father, Jacob, showed him preferential treatment, uh, which was kind of weird because in that culture at that time, usually the oldest person in the, you know, the oldest son would, would be the heir and the one who gets all the favor. But here Joseph is, he's the youngest of his brothers and, and his father showers him with all this attention and prefers him, actually gets him this, this, uh, as Andrew Lloyd Webber calls it, the Technicolor dream coat, uh, gives him this coat of many colors. And so uh, Joseph's walking around, you know, with this colored coat on that, and if you, I don't have it. I've never had any brothers or sisters, but I can see the dynamic with my own kids. And I, I, I suspect that if you had one kid walking around with a special coat, uh, it would probably cause resentment in the hearts of brothers and sisters. Not only that, but Joseph has this dream. Uh, it's a dream from God. And, and in this dream, there's all this symbolism, and basically the, the meaning of the dream is that one day his brothers are going to come and bow down before him. Not only that, the, the sun and the moon are going to bow down before him. And, and, and so he does what a teenage boy would probably do uh, with a bunch of resentful brothers. He tells them the dream. Hey, guys, I had this dream from God that one day I'm going to save you. I'm going to be, I'm going to really help you guys out, and you're going to be so grateful. You're going to bow down before me. Not only that, the, the sun and the moon, every, everything's bowing down before me. And they're like, that's it. That's it. We're done. And so they, they get angry with Joseph, and they decide, we're, we're, we're killing him. They take him out to this well. They're going to throw him in the well and kill him. But then all of a sudden, they see this caravan of Ishmaelites coming along, and they're like, hey, why kill him when we can make some money? So they, they sell their brother into slavery. So Joseph goes from being this preferred son, preferential treatment, everything's good, to all of a sudden now he's a part of a slave caravan heading to Egypt. And that's where we pick up the story. It's verse 1 of Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord's the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And while his master's wife, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was in sight. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. <laughs> but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the household servants and said, look, she said to them, this Hebrew has brought been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept the cloak beside her until the master came home. And then she told him, that slave you brought me came to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside and ran out of the house. When the master heard the story, told him, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. While Joseph was there in prison, the, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Okay, that's a long passage, but um, I want to notice a few things about this. Number one, Joseph knew he was called by God. He, he, he knew God had a purpose for him. He enters this story from that vantage point. Secondly, the phrase that we see repeated more often in, the, in this chapter than anything is, the Lord was with him. God was with him. See, a lot of times in, in Christianity, we tend to think that in modern American Christianity, we think that God exists for me and my success and my blessings and my health and my wealth and my prosperity. But the opposite is true. We exist for God. We exist for His plans. Joseph, whatever he was at, God was with him. But it didn't always look like a great situation, as you can find in this chapter. He's got two situations that aren't that great. He's been sold into slavery. He ends up a slave. Then he ends up in prison. But each time, the Lord is with him. The third thing is Joseph was serving his master as if he was serving the Lord. Why do, we, why do I say that? Well, what's it say in verse... Um, Verse 10, when, when the woman is trying to seduce him, what does he say? He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. He doesn't say, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my master? He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? In other words, Joseph wasn't working in that situation just for his master. He was working for his master as if he was working for God. You know, Joseph didn't become the victim. How many of you would be tempted to become the victim? Your, your, your brothers sell you into slavery. You're, you're working in a foreign country. I mean, I, he didn't get bitter. He didn't sink into self-pity. He didn't just say, oh, nobody loves me. My family rejected me. I'm in slavery. I'm all alone. He, kept, he, he decided that no matter where I'm at, I'm going to keep serving God. I'm going to keep God at the center. 
and I'm going to trust my life into God's hands. He continued to worship and serve God. Next thing is that Joseph didn't entertain fantasies of sleeping with his wife, <laughs> with, with his master's wife. Now, I got to think a young, a young guy cut off from his family, living in a foreign country, all that, and then all of a sudden you experience a little bit of success, and then the master's wife starts, you know, making passes at you. That, that could happen if you weren't strong in God. I can understand that. Joseph tells her no again and again. But, but here's another thing. Joseph didn't tell her no and then go back to his quarters and fantasize about what had been, what might have been if he said yes. <laughs> you know, Joseph could have told her, no, no, I'm not doing that, you know, especially when everybody's watching. Get, get away from me. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sleep with you. He could tell her no, but then go back to his quarters later and say, oh, what, what would it have been like if I'd have said yes? You ever done that before? You ever said the right thing outside and then, then, then you know, uh, you, you start to think, what would it have been like if I'd have said yes? Joseph doesn't do that. Why? Because when the moment comes where he could get away with it, when nobody's looking, it said there was no slaves in the house. Actually, I don't think Joseph would have gone in the house if he'd have known there was, was no other servants around. But the moment when nobody's looking, when he could totally get away with it, he says no. He had been an apprentice of God when nobody was looking. He didn't fantasize about sin. He fantasized about doing the right thing. <laughs> he, he didn't develop a secret life of fantasizing about these secret hidden kinds of things, but he developed a hidden life about fantasizing about doing the right thing. And so when the moment came, he did the right thing. You know, it's moments like these that reveal what we've really got on the inside. It's, it's when the pressure comes that you see where the cracks are. When the pressure comes on, that's, that's what reveals what's inside. Joseph had worship of God at the center of his being. He had disciplined himself so that when the moment came up, he had the character to pass the test. You know, in, in my years in ministry, unfortunately, and I, I've heard stories from you guys from... In your past experiences, I get, I get depressed sometimes. I, I kind of think, like, why am I even in ministry? It's like the success rate seems... I, I know so many people personally, pastors who've fallen into adultery. Uh, I know other friends that aren't even pastors that have fallen into it. And, and I've seen people on the national level. We all see these stories of, of famous Christian pastors who fall into sexual sin, do things like that. And, and sometimes we're caught off guard by it. We're like, wow, it just, it just seems like that came out of the blue. It didn't come out of the blue. It never does. <laughs> sin doesn't just come out of the blue. You don't just leave your wife just on a moment's notice. You don't just do something stupid like that. It starts in your everyday, ordinary life. Are you living as an apprentice of God? Or are you beginning to fantasize about the things of the world around you? Are you beginning to let your mind drift away in that? And it ain't just men and pornography, okay? It may, it's women too. You may be fantasizing about, you know, I know a lot of times women, it's not necessarily the visual things. It might be an emotional thing. You, there, there's some guy that you work with or some, someone that you've seen that, that it draws on an emotional thing inside you and you start going, wow, 
I bet he could really love me in a better way. And so you, you let those things grow. You let those things ferment. And after a while, as, as James puts it, that will give, you know, sin will give birth to death. Your desire will give birth to sin and sin will kill you. What we see with Joseph, though, is he hasn't been feeding that thing. He's been feeding his relationship with God, even when nobody's looking, when it's unappreciated, and when it doesn't look like it's paying off. Because I think we all kind of struggle with, hey, you know, when things are going good, God must love me. But when things are going bad, (laughs) maybe God's mad at me. You think Joseph didn't have a chance to deal with that? Hello, I'm serving God, and, and now I'm being accused of attempted rape? Like, is this how you treat the ones that follow you, Lord? Well, here's what happens later on in the story. Joseph does the right thing, and then he goes to jail. Don't we, 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 wish, we wish that if you do the right thing, like, you, you get to be blessed, right? Sometimes you do the right thing, and you, you're not blessed, at least outwardly. Joseph goes to prison. But what's it say? While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. You know, I'd take that any day over external blessings. I would take that any day over a lot of things that are preached in our country. To have God with me, whether things are good or whether things are bad, I'd rather find God in a prison than have all of the amenities this life has to offer. I'd rather have Jesus in prison than have all the external things. The story is, though, and, and, and look, the story of Joseph, I mean, we're talking about probably about 15 years here, okay? 15 years of being betrayed, being accused, ending up in prison, but God's with him all the time. And turns out that Joseph has a gift from God for interpreting dreams. Pharaoh has this crazy dream that's a God dream. Nobody can just de- de- decipher it for him. And so somebody says, well, we got this guy down in the prison. He's actually running things down here. Um, he's good at interpreting dreams. Pharaoh calls him up. Joseph interprets his dream, says, you're going to have seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Here's the plan for, for what you should do. God gives, gives Joseph wisdom. Pharaoh makes Joseph second in command of all of Egypt, which was the leading world power at that time. And sure enough, at the end of the story, we see that that dream Joseph had in the beginning about everybody coming to him and, and saving a bunch of people and people bowing down, sure enough, his family shows up, his brothers Now, you know, if Joseph hadn't been submitted to God all those years, when the brothers show up, that'd be time for revenge, right? That would be time to, I mean, Joseph had the power to have them strung up, tortured, killed, anything he wanted. He had the power. But when he sees them, what does he tell them? He says, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Is that not the sign of transformation? See, that's the hope that all of us have. If we can submit to God, even the most horrible things that have happened to you in your life, whether it's been abuse, sexual abuse, uh, whether it's been broken relationships, financial ruin, 
if you can submit to God, you can get to the place where Joseph got, that, that no matter what people meant for evil in your life, God has used it for his good. And your existence won't be determined by unforgiveness and bitterness and all that junk. You will be free. You will actually be in a place where you can enjoy things. You can be used by God. See, the, the, the thing with Joseph is God could actually trust him with authority because all those years that Joseph remained submitted to God, no matter what it looked like, God could actually, you know, because the truth is, You'd have taken that little boy, that, that teenager with the coat of many colors, put him second in charge of Egypt. <laughs> Back then, probably wouldn't have been the same outcome. <laughs> but God could trust him. See, God can't give us authority, and you don't want authority unless you've learned how to submit to God in the prisons, in the trials, in the suffering. You don't want authority. It will absolutely ruin you. And I've seen it ruin many a people when they get a little power, but they've never submitted to God in the times where they didn't have power. Joseph practiced submitting to God in all aspects of his life and could one day be trusted with real authority from God. I want to close today with one of my favorite passages because I think it kind of sums up what we see here today. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. You know, I, my years as a Christian, I hear Christians a lot of time talk about, I'm believing God for this. I've got faith for this. I'm believing God for this outcome. But I think a bigger explanation of faith than I'm believing God for something is I'm trusting God no matter what. <laughs> I'm trusting God no matter what. See, if Joseph was believing God for, for you know, get out of jail and this and that, he, he was going to be sorely disappointed for a long time. But he trusted God. I'm trusting you. Even when I don't understand anything. I'm not leaning on my finite, finite view of how I see everything working out right now. I, even though I don't understand everything going on, I'm trusting you. And I'm trusting that you're going to direct my path. You are going to guide me the way that I should go. That's a good way to live. See, when we live like that, we're living as kingdom people. We're living that God's got me, and He's going to take me wherever He wants me. He's got plans for me. He's got a purpose for me. And I don't have to force the issue. I just have to submit to God. And you can't lose. God is going to have his plans. And that's a wonderful way to live because you, you take away the anxiety, the bitterness, the resentfulness. You just say, you know, God, I'm yours. You do with me what you want. See, I find the times where I get in trouble is when I stop trusting God. I start trying to work things out myself. You ever find that? Oh, I, <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like I start trying to to. to to, to make it all happen. And if, and if you try to make it happen, you got to keep it happening. But if God does it, if God makes it happen, then all you got to do is, is, is rest in it. Why don't you stand up? I want to close with uh, three questions here and then a little reading from Scripture. Ask yourself this, in what areas of my life do I need to submit to the Lord? 
Is it your marriage? Is it your job? Secondly, how can I do my job as unto the Lord? What does that look like? And third question. Can I worship God and trust God no matter what the circumstances may look like in my life at the moment? I just want you to close your eyes. I'm going to do a, a reading from Colossians. And this will be kind of a benediction, so to speak. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at God's right hand. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thank you, Lord.